Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Welcome back to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I am so pleased to be joined by academics and authors, Elisabetta Basilico and Tommy Johnson. Elisabetta consults with asset managers, family offices, and does institutional research. And Tommy is an academic consultant to institutional investors. And together, they are the authors of a book called Smarter Investing. Tommy and Elisabetta, welcome to the podcast. Melissa, thank you. And uh, hello to everybody. Well, I'm excited for our conversation today. We are going to use your book as a launching pad and then get into the depths of academic research on women investors, something that is, of course, appropriate and important here at Pearl Planning. So I wanted to get started, though, and ask you, Tommy, to both describe the book and how you and Elisabetta decided to collaborate with each other. Elisabetta was my student at the University of Denver in graduate school, and we've kept in touch ever since she graduated and um, working on various projects. And this idea came up, actually, she brought the idea to me. We're putting together a book for professional investors, uh, registered investment advisors, or any other person interested in the academic foundations of many of the uh, most popular investing practices that we see today. So we were interested specifically in uh, putting together, let's say we take a topic like index investing or factor investing. What we wanted to do was to give a quick Quick and dirty, I want to say, um, introduction and deep dive then into, uh, let's say, how factor investing uh, became popular, what the academic studies were uh, surrounding that. And then we curated the articles that were involved um, and were substantiated that particular topic. And as we did the curation, that was uh, the main main effort and the main objective so that we could present to our audience the best of the best in terms of articles, interpret it, talk about the practical implications so that if you think about the academic research out there, there is tons to read. And so curation, I think, was our was our objective to make uh, academic um, research transparent, available. Um, And I don't necessarily want to say easy to understand. It's never easy to understand, but certainly uh, translate um, the the important aspects of it to a a general investing population. That was a long answer, wasn't it? (laughs) That's helpful, though, because I would, as a reader of your book, say that academic research on investing has its own language, even if you're a sophisticated investor. 
So curating the content and, and sifting through the research as well as make putting it into a digestible format so that you can determine what you want to dive into more is a really effective way to gather information as a reader. Yeah. And you, you know, there's a, I like the way you put it, it has its own language and it also has its own social environment. Um, in academia, the objective is to publish and um, journals only publish uh, articles with significant results. And uh, so as we go out and look at, you know, what actually gets published, first of all, it's, it's a ton of it. Number two, not all of it is good. Uh, and so you have to be aware of that language uh, so that you can translate into what really is rigorous research and which research really is not very good. Uh, so that was part of our objective also, you know, to interpret the language. Right. It's easier to get a headline when you're provocative or in your case, in your world, get published. Yes. So then having an academic eye to what deserves that weight versus what may be an anomaly yes. is helpful. No, and, that, and that's exactly the idea. Well, I really enjoyed the themes of the book in general. I'm curious before we get into the topic of women in asset management, whether there was an aha or a surprise in the book that you weren't expecting in terms of the thematics or just, you know, kind of the outcomes as, as you curated research. Well, I can, I can tell you my um, initial reaction was, uh, I guess there were two ahas. One was just how bad the underrepresentation of women. Now I, I was um, a second PhD male in my PhD program. I was the second female academic hired in my, in the finance department at the university and, you know, it really hasn't gotten much better. So number one, the underrepresentation is the second. I thought it was interesting that uh, performance numbers, you know, there's not really much difference between male and female um, analysts, portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, and so on. You know, the performance actually, it's probably edges, women probably edge men out on that in terms of their uh, interest in uh, being aggressive. So they're less aggressive traders. And so they, they have a slight edge, I would say, in performance. So I would say those two ideas, under, how bad their underrepresentation is and that the performance is, you know, equivalent. Well, let's unpack those concepts a little bit more. Elizabetta, first of all, I love... Well, I don't love the idea, but it's a great way to describe women in asset management, women who are making decisions for portfolio management, that um, they are an endangered species. So yes. tell us what those numbers are, how endangered. It's, it's really, when we get into the specifics, the numbers are stunning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that uh, like Tommy said, it was a big aha. Uh, because they were worse than what we expected. <laughs> uh, so we, we do have some statistics that I think are, are very good to contextualize um, the meat of the, of the chapter. For instance, a survey that was done by the CFA, uh, which is a professional organization in our industry, says that the U.S. female chart holders are a little above 18%. 
And this compares to uh, other professions like lawyers that are represented at 33%, um, and then doctors at 37 and CPAs at 63%. So, you know, financial industry is at the um, bottom of, of the representation. And then this survey, digging deeper into this 18% of female chartholders, what do they do? Well, the highest percentages are in uh, jobs like performance analysis, compliance, and relationship uh, management. Whereas when you look at, like, for instance, the equity analysts, they are lower than 18%. Uh, the worst are CEOs, CFOs, CIOs um, at less than 10%. And when we look at the investment management side of the industry, um, there, we have this number that is from 2017. Women and my, minority-owned firms manage 1.1% of the total asset under management in the industry, which is something like 70 plus trillion dollars. So, you know, 1.1% is pretty bad, in my opinion. And then in terms of the numbers, you know, in terms of like the one that I just said is asset under management. Then we have another statistics that found that at the end of 2000, 14% of fund managers were women. And guess what? At the end of 2019, 14% of fund managers are uh, women. So no progress at all in 20 years, uh, which is even more depressing. And then I found another statistic that I thought was pretty funny. Uh, in the UK, there are more fund managers that are named Dave. Like there is 108 men named Dave that are fund managers. And there are a total of one of five women of any names that are fund managers in the UK. <laughs> An endangered species, for sure. <laughs> I think that if you weren't in our field, those numbers would be shocking. And, but having... Um, to Today, I'm a financial planner, so I work directly with clients. But in a past life, I did investment research, investment manager due diligence as my full-time job and would talk to portfolio managers day in, day out. And just would be very rare to talk to a female analyst, to talk to a female portfolio manager, even more rare. Um, so it's not surprising. And the statistics for professions like attorneys and doctors seem to be changing over time. And there's this persistency the statistics on female financial advisors are the same. It's about 15 to 18%, depending on who you ask. But you have to kind of filter out administrative roles in many cases mm -hmm. before you get a um, really concrete number. Then, you know, a question becomes, well, maybe that's because they you know, women aren't effective. So it's a, you know, there maybe there is... Um, a self-selection out because it's not a good fit. What have you found in terms of academic research on comparing female and male investors? Well, one thing that uh, I would agree with you that you just hit on um, that explains part of the underrepresentation is that there is a self-selection bias. So studies in the social sciences have demonstrated that uh, women tend to opt out of a more competitive types of Number one. Um, number two, what that means is that they tend to opt out of a business 
general uh, and financing. So what we have is a two-pronged um, approach, uh, not attracted to competitive type jobs. So we self-select out of you know, investment management. Uh, the third thing I would say about that is that uh, part of the problem are the, the lack of a, just a math background. Uh, so I think that it is uh, something that women tend, not, again, not to select. Um, they're, the courses they take, if they do go to business school, uh, they opt out of uh, finance in favor of marketing, and accounting even, um, you know, the less qualitative areas. And so one of the things that we have to do, I think, is encourage women uh, and young women and um, girls, I would say, is to involve themselves in uh, math courses and obtaining a, you know, a good math background. I think that's critical to changing the underrepresentation. I have an opinion there because I sometimes I hear on the financial planner conversations trying to recruit women, oh, it's not that much math, so you don't have to be intimidated by that. And I'd rather say you make math more friendly than kind of explaining away the math portion. Um, I think that there's a subtle shift if you're not saying, oh, don't worry, dear, you're not going to have to do that much math versus, you know, just kind of embracing it and like, you you know, hopefully some STEM and STEAM programs for for younger students will be helpful over time. It's, it's hard to just sit there and wait. <laughs> Exactly. And I've often wondered if um, had some type of um, remedial or uh, extra support for women in, let's say, uh, registered investment advisory positions, you know, what are the math concepts that you need? And, you know, here they are. Uh, here's how you apply them. Here's the, so you just take a really focused approach on what the mathematical concepts are that are relevant to, you know, your position and provide additional support. There, I'm not sure if that happens in in uh, in your field, uh, whether that resource is there or not. Do you have any idea? I think there's a lot of resources for learning and um, for support, and also, you know, many of the the number crunching is in the technology nowadays. Anyway, yeah. um, not to say that you don't need to understand the concepts and where the where the numbers are coming from, mm-hmm. but there's also um, networking where you know naturally at my firm, we're all women. Um, naturally, you tend to um, groom and hire the people that you're most comfortable and familiar with. Um, so that networking effect can um, increase the persistence of um, low numbers for certain populations. So Elisabetta, tell me, um, as you think about the, these challenges, yes, there's some self-selection that um, contributes to the numbers? What's, is there any research showing that there are other factors? One interesting research is that there is some biases from the choosing funds or advisors. Did this, um, they borrowed a, a methodology from uh, psychology and they applied a, a way to measure prejudice among you know, investors, for instance. They did an experiment and they showed that the people that had scored more highly on uh, having prejudice against female, they didn't uh, invest as much in fund man- in funds managed by women. 
And so there's definitely some biases. What this cause then is for the industry to probably tend to hire less women because they're afraid that fund managed by a female will not raise as much assets. And so that's a vicious cycle. And it could be an Um, unconscious bias by the asset managers. But the other thing that I want to mention is that there's a lot of research that looks at differences in terms of credibility, credentials, skills, performance. And there's not much difference uh, apart from, you know, a couple of things that are um, interesting and make sense. So for instance, uh, in terms of fund management style, one of the only uh, differences that were found between male and females is the turnover. So men tend to buy and sell more often. And this can be linked to their um, overconfidence. So again, there's psychology studies that show that men are more prone to overconfidence. And so this causes them to be more, less risk averse compared to female and more, uh, they, they trade a lot more. These two components can probably explain the fact that when looking at the performance, we cannot say that female fund manager perform less positively than men. In fact, the opposite. They're either equal or, or, or better. But then, you know, despite that, the, the assets are not there. Uh, and, and going back to the, the, two character, the two differences, you know, when you trade more, there's more cost involved. So that can be a drag on performance and sometimes be more risk averse can help out in the downturn of the markets. Funds managed by female show less drawdowns during market turbulence. And with the compound effect, that can probably help out the term. I should say, other than the the under, you know, the, the issue of the underrepresentation, the around the discrimination, um, it seems like the industry would benefit having more women because of better performance. So we know there is a an issue, but also that if the industry or investors focus on women, incorporating women portfolio managers, at least academically, research suggests that you wouldn't be dinging yourself by focusing on that. Exactly. Is there new areas of research that you couldn't find information on that you think would be helpful on this topic? Um, I would say it's, and I think that we need to spend a a lot more time uh, talking about two things. One is talking about the underrepresentation and two, rebranding the industry. You know, part of it is a marketing problem, Uh, rebranding finance as women friendly. Um, As you put it, talking to other women saying, oh, you know, don't worry, there's not much math. But I think you know, taking that attitude and a little more formal marketing approach that apparently, you know, the support is there to do that. But I don't think it's uh, given front and center center attention by investment management firms. So without having that very obvious um, commitment behind decreasing the underrepresentation from investment management firms, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, we have to provide women with quality mentors and sponsors Um, We have to make sure that underrepresentation or 
representation is is a fair and obvious goal of the organization, and the organization has to put some meat behind that that statement. You know, it has to be not just a stated and objective, but a something that is actually measured and followed up on. I agree with you, and the same could be said, and I'm sure the research is even less robust in the area of um, representation of people of color in our industry or profession. And um, for any of these challenges, it's seeking cognitive diversity should be a shared burden of not just the underrepresented population, whether it's the women in a firm or, or people of color. Um, it should be something that is, um, you know, a part of firm objectives and, and, and seen as a, you know, a threat if it's not addressed. I agree. I agree totally with that. Part of the problem too is um, we don't have a lot of good data sources. We're doing some research right now on using SEC data, companies that file. So we're looking at um, from CEOs all the way down to equity and fixed income analysts, you know, how the, uh, uh, gender, what the gender gap really is. And we'll, we can send you some of that information when we get it all put together in a final form. Uh, I think people don't really even know how, how bad it, how bad it really is and where women are. Um, where do they tend to congregate? If you look at um, equity analysts, let's say in the two largest uh, countries, United States and UK, in terms of sheer numbers of analysts, both fixed income and equity analysts, the um, distribution is about 70-30, 70% are men and 30% are women. So, and that's the best, you know, that, mm. we, that we see out there. Um, and I think those numbers are, uh, you know, need to be clarified and, and uh, publicized. Yeah, there's no other part of our profession where you wouldn't want to be measuring in order to change things. So quantifying and um, seeing trends is, of course, critical. Exactly. Well, I want as I wrap things up, I just want to make sure that everyone who is listening knows that in our show notes, we will include a link to your book, Smarter Investing, which also includes other topics, as well as that focusing, a chapter focusing on women in investing. And then also we'll link to your website and um, your social media bios so that um, people can stay in touch. Is there anything that you would leave us with? Yeah, I hope that this will um, encourage your audience to invest more with uh, female advisor, female fund managers, because uh, I think that it's a win-win. Well, hopefully um, some of our listeners are either future portfolio managers themselves or they're raising future female portfolio managers. I think, you know, part of the conversation is just having role models to look up to. So hopefully our audience will know that Tommy and Elizabeth are, are great examples of women in the financial world. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Have a great day. For more information, visit pearlplan.com or our Facebook page, Pearl Planning Wealth.